You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. You got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Before we go too much further, I just want to make an announcement. Some of you may or may not have already gotten an email and let you guys know. Um, we are actually going to be moving back to morning services come October, I'm sorry, October, August the, the 1st. Yeah, that's a little bit different. Uh, August the 1st, we're going to be moving back to morning services at 9 a.m., excuse me, and 11 a.m. And I just want to give a little kind of clarity to what was going on. Uh, we actually opened this brand new building in the middle of COVID. So our grand opening was in the middle of COVID and it's kind of an unfortunate thing. Right after we even opened it, there was actually an, uh, some, some volunteers tested positive again. So we had to shut it down. Uh, I don't know you guys, if any, anybody else's world got a little flipped upside down in the last 24 months, ours certainly did. And so uh, well, we, I remember when we were talking about opening this new building, we were like, Lord, you know, or each other, we were asking what were our service times are going to be. And so we were in a meeting, I'll never forget, we were in a meeting and we were talking about kind of what it was and I just kind of spoke up to our directors and I said, look, this is not a word from the Lord, so don't take it as a word from the Lord. I'm just saying, what, about, what if we went to evening services? And, some, and there was a, a little bit of prophetic swirl around that, but the bottom line was I had seen some friends of mine do that, had a lot of success. Uh, in fact, one particular person is actually still doing this and it's interesting what's happening. He feels like he's pastoring those that pastor the city and it's interesting watching uh, different people able to come in and, and pour into and be fed by their church and then go to their churches on Sunday mornings because they don't have a morning service. And so uh, that was kind of stuck in my mind. And also, I just, I actually thought it'd be good for families. I've always thought if I was just regular old Joe and didn't work for the church, I would want a Sunday afternoon service. I could go fishing or hunting every weekend. I could spend time with my family fishing and hunting every weekend. I mean, all the things, you know. And, uh, and really the heart behind even, go, some of the heart behind it was even to make it easier for families. And, you know, I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you had an idea in your head and it seemed really, really good in your head and then it, you did it and you're like, yeah, that did not really go the way I thought that was going to go. And I think for us, evening services in some way was that because we know it's been, uh, for a lot of you, been very, very difficult with young children when you're trying to serve one service, go to another service, keep your kids from manifesting a demon on the way home and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so honestly, bottom line is, oh, and one more thing I should say, we... It was nowhere on our radar to plant the Lubbock campus uh, when we decided the service times here. Uh, it was just something we were praying about, like, Lord, are you, are you calling us to do something in Lubbock? That was about the extent of where we were and uh, when we made this decision. And had we not done it, and then when we made the decision to plant Lubbock, it was not going to be till September. And so um, had we not done evening services here in Midland, we would have not been able to plant Lubbock when we did. And it's just been incredible what God's done. Uh, in our Lubbock campus, and you guys had such a huge, huge part to play in that. Uh, I mean, Easter service, we had like 300 people already at our Easter service there in Lubbock. We were just seeing incredible, incredible things happen in just a few. Uh, in fact, Easter was just like four or five weeks after we launched the church and already had 300 people. It was just really, it's been really, really incredible watching what God's done there. And um, so we're just excited, but just letting you know, we are moving back to morning services. We've kind of developed teams and the leadership and the worship teams and all the things that we need to pull this thing off it is it is quite a it is quite a Sunday when you start in Lubbock do a service come here try to get your kids back home so it's going to be good for us as well getting our families only focused on one campus again and uh, of course we'll still be coming on a rotation this is not going to change 
obviously my involvement or Keith's involvement in, in terms of the leadership team and the t- senior teaching team, that won't change at all, actually. Uh, but it's some of our teams that have been, we're buying hotel rooms and sending worship leaders and musicians back and forth. It's going to put a stop to some of that as well. But anyway, August 1st, two services, 9 a.m. and 11 uh, and, I, and I said this the first service, I should say this again. If, if you're one of those people that you actually started coming to this church because we had an evening service, uh, there's really no easy way to say this, but it's like, I'm sorry that this is not maybe going to work for your schedule, but just please don't feel any awkwardness if because your schedule doesn't work, whether that's work or whatever, uh, if you go to a different church. I think it's actually tragic that in the church world, it's weird when someone goes from one church to the next and we make it this big ordeal. It's mainly because we don't really see ourselves on the same team as much as we should. And we just want to know that if this is a time where you'll have to transition back to another church or, or something else, we bless you as you go. We'd love to pray for you and bless you as you go. This is not no negative feelings, hard feelings on our end. We'd, we'd love to have you here. And if you want to be here, we'll just pray and God will give you a better job or something. And you can stay here with us. So uh, anyway, but anyway, I just want to make that announcement. So anyway, um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's just, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to share a few things here. I've recently been looking at some statistics, you know, in, in, in my, in my job, in my role, what we do, uh, COVID, um, COVID had a pretty significant effect on the church at large. I've got a lot of friends from all over the country. I've been very, very blessed to have some conversations with, with different leaders that have led big churches, lots of churches, multiple campuses, things like that. And so, uh, you know, through all this, we have, have talked a lot about what the church looks like and doesn't look like anymore post-COVID. Uh, what's happened in our country has affected the church. It has affected the American church. It's, a, it's affected American believers. Uh, and if I'm being honest with you, one of the things that it has um, exposed, if you will, is that a lot of people had a relationship with the church. Not a lot of people had a relationship with God. They had a relationship with the way church was done and when they got out of that rhythm, even when churches opened back up, they were out of the rhythm because the relationship was actually with the church, not a relationship with God. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I think there are times when we follow something or someone and the, and the, the, the end road, if you will, is, is good, but there's, a, there's an intermediate step. Paul wasn't saying, follow me as I follow Christ, because he was trying to gather a crowd unto himself. He was saying, hey, if it makes it easier for you right now, follow me. I, I know this dude. This dude we're going to all follow together at some point. I know him. He's worth following. But for now, if you'll just follow me, I'm following him, you're basically going to be following Jesus. In the same way, the church... I believe in what the church is. I believe in what the church does. The church has been used, even the American church and how we do church, it has been used to be a catalyst unto people, a catalyst for people unto a relationship with God that is real, that is vibrant, that even a COVID outbreak and the shutting down of churches and things like that could not stop that relationship. But I have to believe that there is a way that if you, there is a way to do church that if done correctly, it doesn't stop at a relationship with the church. The, part, the church is just a part of your relationship with God. You see, when you have a close personal relationship with God, you love what he loves, you hate what he hates. He is in love with the church. 
So the closer I get to him, the more I am transformed into his image. When I behold him and I'm being transformed into his image, all of a sudden, if he's in love with the church, now I'm in love with the church. So I don't go to church because it's what I do. I go to the church because it's what I love. And the only reason I love the church and believe in the church is because he loves the church and he believes in the church. And even if church changes what it looks like, where it goes, if things change, that's fine. Church was just a part of me loving him. It was part of my expression, and I'm with you. I love what you love, and I hate what you hate. It's, it's imperative that we as believers, we learn to be um, flexible, if you will, in seasons when God is shifting and changing things. Uh, I, I told this story in the first service. It kind of fits here, too. But hey, raise your hand if you've ever heard of or seen the Olympic sport curling. You've seen Curling. Is this not like the longest lasting prank in history? Like somehow it is still literally an Olympic sport. Like somebody still got us convinced that it is athletic skill to slide a stone on ice to a dot. I mean, I will say this. It does give us Texans hope. Cornhole someday will be in the Olympics. It's going to get there, you know. Um, but what's interesting about curling, if you haven't ever seen it, you're sli- the one guy, he sends this stone, if you will, on a, on a trajectory. <clears throat> but then there's other people that are making sure that that thing goes, and he's yelling out orders, and they're, you ever seen them? They're sweeping. It's just the goofiest looking thing. They're just out there just sweeping nice and moving. What are they doing? They're trying to make sure that if, if this thing starts to get off course, that they make the necessary adjustments to stay on course. I think as believers, I think as leaders of the church, one of the things that we have to learn to do, that I have to learn to do, is when we set something on a direction, if we start to see that it gets off course, we have to make adjustments. We have to make corrections. When we started this church, we had good intentions. We were, we were going after some things, but it didn't take long for us to realize. Some of you in here probably heard me talk about this, where I realized that the church we, the church we were, had planted and where we were headed wasn't necessarily the same church that God had in mind all along. And we're constantly, you've heard me say this, I feel like a, a broken record. I don't have the right as a leader or a Christian to change the word for my, to my lifestyle. I have to change my lifestyle to the word. And if I all of a sudden see something in Scripture that defines the church differently than I have defined the church in the past, I must change. I must adjust. Again, what are we, what are we talking about? We're constantly, individually and corporately being transformed into what he has for us. So it's very, very important that as believers we stay flexible, we stay humble, we stay moldable, we stay teachable because God works in seasons. There will be seasons of the church where we'll be going one direction. And I think that's one of my... <clears throat> Uh, frustration might be a, a heavy word. As a leader of a church, as a pastor of a church, I would desire to be led by the Holy Spirit on anything and the church to say, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Hey, we're switching from evening services to morning services. Let's, great, sure, cool, what's up, man? We're going from morning service to evening service. Hey, we're going to start doing communion a little different. Hey, we're going to start doing worship a little Hey, you know what? We're going to start having everyone lay hands on each other and pray. Great. Well, I'm game. Because the, as a leader, I know that how God works in people is he works in their lives through seasons. If I stay the same all the time, I, I am potentially not following the seasons that God has in place and not giving you all the development that you're supposed to get. That's one of my biggest uh, fears, I guess, used to say about certain, um, and, and I'm not against churches, so please hear my heart. Uh, plus, we're not recording this, so y'all are the only ones ever going to hear it. And if you say I said this, I'll say, I don't know what they're talking about. But um, 
it's one of my biggest concerns with denominations. I'm not against the church, but I am against denominations that have somehow already figured out everything that they believe. And I'm like, you've already figured God out? Like, how did you, how? (laughs) You're, You're making no changes? And then when you hear about people say something changed and they got so offended that, oh, we're changing something we're doing. We're, we're, we're putting regular chairs instead of pews in our church. I'm leaving. Yeah. These are real, these are real, real things. I, I, have, I heard a story one time where uh, this couple, or, or this, this pastor, he was going to change the way they did small groups. And so what he wanted to do was they were going to do small groups through sections. And all of you know, you kind of always sit in the same area of the church in here. You kinda, this is kind of your spot. And so what he said was, hey, this is going to be one, two, three, and four. So all section one, you're now a small group. Section two, you're now a small group. Section three, you're now a small group. And then they started changing things up. And he was just trying to do it to create community. Well, one thing that he did, he said, also, I'm going to be asking some of you to switch sections. And, and one Sunday, when asking someone to switch sections, this, this new couple came in and sat in these two chairs that this one couple had sat in for like 20 years. And it was a new couple. And, and the, this other, the, the couple that had been there for like 20 years or something, literally walked in and told the new people, you're sitting in our chairs. And asked them to move, and it got back to the pastor. And he said, it took everything in me not to literally unbolt those chairs from the sanctuary floor. And he literally said, I, he said, I was almost there. I was going to unbolt them and bolt them up on top of the stage to see if they were still their chairs when they were on the stage, you know. It's kind of a funny thing just to say, like, hey, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful about how we approach the church and what it is. And is it about, you know, I have these two chairs. I go these two, two Sundays a month to sit in these two chairs. We do an opening prayer. We do our three songs, one fast, two slow. You know, we get our, I think you just got to be careful about that. And, and I'm actually trying to make a point, I think. If that is the church model, if that's what the church has been for so many, then no wonder people, when something like COVID happened, they had a disconnection with the church because the church didn't represent the church God had in mind anyway. It wasn't a transforming church. It was a check-the-box church. I, my conviction is if it's the church he had in mind, once you taste and see, you will know that it is good and an appetite for the things of God, an appetite for the church of God in in its purest form will be born in you and the church will actually lead you into a real vibrant relationship with God that allows the church to go through seasons, your relationship with God to go through seasons and something can change, something can, uh, a a, a pastor, a leader, an outbreak, something can cause disruption but it doesn't disrupt you because your connection is not with this, your connection is with this. We did this, this, this happened for us, you know, um, you've probably heard me tell the story where the Lord made a correction in our church and he, he took us into, he took me into 1 Corinthians 12, 28, I saw where it said, and God set these gifts in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. And so when I, I remember when I read that for the first time, I realized I'm not, I'm not aiming at the right target. What I think is success in church is apparently not what the Bible says is success in church. 
I'd have people call me and say, how was church today? And my response would be, oh, it's great. We had 400 people there. I said, well, that's cool, but did anybody get healed? Were, <laughs> were there miracles? Were any lives transformed? And I realized that, okay, I, I've got to make sure that even as a church leader, I'm making sure we're going after the church that he wants, not the church that I want. Because I personally believe it's the church that he wants. It's one that people will be passionate about and give their lives to. So we made some changes in the way we did things, and, and, and what you see here today is honestly a, a, a fruit of that, where we just began to pursue the things of God. We began to pursue miracles, pursue healings. I told the first service, uh, there was a story where one Easter service where uh, we just hired a guy that had a media company to come in and film some B-roll for our services, and we were going to use the B-roll of all the services in our Easter service to make a, a video for the next year's Easter service, trying to think ahead so that we could launch a video campaign to invite people to, to our church services. And at the very end of our service, I remember uh, the, the young man was on the front, and he was literally kneeling down, videoing me at the very, very end of the message. And I was getting ready to close, and the Lord spoke to me and said, there's somebody here that's got, he gave me a word of knowledge. And so I just, I leaned into it, and I said, hey, I, before we close, I, I normally wouldn't do this. But I just get a sense that somebody in here, you have pain in the right side of your jaw. It's like a clicking. I think it's like TMJ, and you've dealt with it for a long time, and the Lord wants to heal that before you leave. And I'll never forget this. You can't forget stuff like this. He was sitting there like filming like this, and all of a sudden he goes, and kind of looks around like, and, I was, and so I see him, and I'm like, is that, is that you? And I didn't know who the guy was, and he's like, yeah, I think that's me. And I was like, well, we're going to pray for you. God didn't bring this up for no reason and so we all just prayed for him and then we went on about the service and I closed and at the time Leanne was the director of that department and I, w I saw her in the foyer and she said man Ron is freaking out and I was like who's Ron again she goes the camera guy that you prayed for I was like oh my gosh I, I, it's always a little risky you can take the new guy and call him out in front of everybody you know and uh, she goes, no, 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 he, he's not freaking out because you called him out. He's freaking out because the second you prayed for him, he was instantly healed. And he's been sitting there moving his jaw going, I am freaking out. I am freaking out, you know. <laughs> so that's how we knew he was freaking out. <laughs> so we've seen things like that happen. When, when, when you move in faith towards something that you see in Scripture, even if you're not 100% accurate in what you per are pursuing, let me say that differently. God is moved by faith, not perfection. That's what really moves him. And when he, it's like when you're, as a kid, when, you, when your kid comes in and says, hey, come look, come look, I drew you a picture, I drew you a picture, and they're so excited to come tell you you drew a picture. What they didn't tell you is they drew it on the side of your car. <laughs> and they're so excited. Now, you may teach them, like, hey, next time you draw daddy a picture, don't cost me $2,000. You know, maybe draw it somewhere else. But there, there's something about the genuineness of a, of a child trying to please a father that warrants a good job, baby. Good job. When you find things in Scripture, don't be afraid of going after what you think you see because you're not sure it's what you see. Did, you, did that make sense? Even if you think you see something, the Lord would rather say, you know what, I, I think, I, I think the, the God's breathing on something here. I think this is going to need me to require me to make some changes in my life. Don't be afraid of, well, what if it's wrong? What if it's this? Don't be afraid. Get rid of the what ifs. The what ifs are trying to keep you in the place of understanding and out of the place of faith. Because if you get over into the place of faith, faith produces results. Understanding does not always. Now, I'm not against understanding and wisdom. The Bible says get wisdom, get understanding. When you're getting stuff, get those things. So I'm not against those things. But it's clear 
according to Scripture, that the just shall live by faith. Why, can the, why do the just live by faith? Because justified people have already been justified because of what Jesus did, not in their performance. So they're free to live by faith because they're not worried about having to be perfect anymore because they've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus on the cross, which gives me the power now to boldly live by faith and go after things because my faith is not in my performance anymore. My faith was in his performance. As a church, we, we've got to create a culture where we're going for things like this. We went for things like, we, went, we, did, the same, we did that for, for signs, wonders, miracles, healings. We went after those things and God moved and he, he confirmed his word with signs following. In the same way, I think it's important that we address the first part of that scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. I dodged it when I first started seeing this. I kind of dodged that whole apostle, prophet, teacher thing because I'm like, you know that, I've heard some things. That's a little sticky. I don't really know how much understanding revelation I have on some of this. So I kind of dodged it for a while. And, but I, we, we came back to that. And over the last couple of years, several years now, the Lord has really, I don't know, he, he's stirred up a hunger in me. If, if, if the scripture says, and God set these gifts in the church first apostles, I can have zero understanding about what that really means, but even with zero understanding, I should be convicted to discover it. I don't get permission to say, ah, that's a little weird, and I don't really know what to do with that. I'm just going to leave that for somebody else, and I'm going to go live over here in John 3.16. <laughs> for God so loved the world. You know, that's, e that's easy. God set these gifts in church first. We, the beautiful thing about the kingdom and the beautiful thing about the things of God is just as much joy as one truth produced, so will all the others. And the more truth we choose to live in, it invites us to pursue more truth. And so because this, this truth has been manifested as true in my life and produced fruit in my life, when I read, and God set these gifts in church, first apostle, it is the truth because it's in Scripture. And the rest of the truths in my life that have confirmed and, and God's been faithful in should be pushing me saying, go after it. Go for it. You don't need a full understanding to live by faith in this area. In a lot of ways, that's what we've done. I've, I've pursued, uh, because I see it in Scripture, I know it's in Scripture, I've pursued what do healthy apostles look like? What is an apostle? What do apostolic people look like? What do they sound like? What do they act like? And, and the Lord is so faithful. Uh, Keith told this story this morning in the Lubbock campus there in ministry time, and he was talking about how there was a time in his life where he really wanted a prophetic word. And this was just a couple years ago and neither him or Natalie had ever had a prophetic word over their life, but he wanted one so bad. And so we were going to Bethel Church for this conference and him and Natalie, it was already planned and they were like, we're gonna get a word when we get to Bethel. We're gonna get a word when we get to Bethel. Their faith was in, when we get to Bethel, we're gonna get our word. The week before they even went to Bethel, three people came up and gave them a prophetic word. What I love about that is even in their they just pointed their faith somewhere. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, even if that's all that they knew. But the thing was, they were hungry for the things of God. And when you're, when you're hungry, the Lord says, I, I like that. I like what I see here. I'm going to give you a little head start. I'm gonna get, and they got more prophetic words when they got to Bethel. But they had three before they even left. I think in the same way. I have personally been hungry, like, okay, Lord, I'm, I, there's a heavy burden on my shoulders to build the church that you want, not the church that I want. And if you say, God, you set in the church first apostles, show me what that means so that I can do my job well. 
I feel a weight to do my job well and lead well because I'm fully aware of when you're wearing this little microphone, people are actually listening, most people, are actually listening to what you're saying. And they're believing that you're hearing from God and it is a, it is a pressure, not to get all you know, performancy on it, but it's just a conviction of, Lord, I, I care so deeply about the things that you care about. Teach me these things. Show me these things. The Lord has been so faithful to bring apostolic leaders in my life. Messages. The title of our message today is Becoming an Apostolic People. You know where I got that? Somebody who preached a message called Becoming an Apostolic People. <laughs> in fact, my two daughters, they rode with me to church um, this, today. They wanted to come see their friends. So from Lubbock, they heard me preach the, they heard me preach the first service. And um, on the way here... I put that podcast on again of Becoming an Apostolic People, which is the third time I've listened to it this week because I'm just so hungry to get every bit of revelation I can out of this thing. And uh, uh, Riley, my youngest, looked on the screen and she goes, ah, ah, good idea, good ideas. <laughs> like encourage me, you know, like to keep feeding on it, you know. I, I want to give you, I, I won't go into as much detail as maybe I did in the, in the first service on some of this. You can, you can uh, we recorded it, you can get it on, on YouTube or whatever, all the different ways we put it. I don't even know what we do. I just know digitally you can re-listen to this or re-watch it or something. Um, but I, I want to skip ahead so I can get some, some, some other parts of this out here. I want to talk to you about two things that are indicators of apostolic people indicators characteristics of apostolic people the word apostle simply means sent one that word sent is packed full of revelation because the second I say that someone is sent I'm also implying that they are under authority I'm implying some things because if I say hey I sent if I were to tell Neil Neil would you please go walk up to that end of the of the sanctuary I'm sending Neil well Neil's response when he gets over there and he tells somebody hey what are you doing here well I was sent over here what that implies is that somebody had the power to send me. Somebody had the power to open their mouth, give me an instruction, and I simply obeyed. Well, when the word apostle meaning sent one, there's a, there's a bit of DNA in apostolic people that have a hunger not to be the one. Let me say that differently. Not just to have authority, but to live under authority. It's a natural humility of heart. God placed a piece of his nature, that same desire to live under authority. It, it's weird. I, I, I'm not saying it to brag. It's just a part of my story. For whatever reason, I've always wanted to have a spiritual father in my life. It's, I've hungered to have spiritual fathers in my life. My dad was an amazing father to me. And when I found pastors in my life, I, I, I went to an all-black church when I was in college. It was actually an accident, but I ended up going to this all-black church. And they became family to me. It was, it was a life-changing experience for me. And in black culture, you, you, you can just get away with things in black churches. You just can't get away in white churches. I'm just going to call it what it is. There was actually a part on the offering envelope that actually it said tithes, offering, offerings to the pastor. Maybe we should start that actually. Now that I think about it, that's actually a great idea. <laughs> but there was very much a, uh, an honor in, in the black culture. They'll even call their pastor bishop or th 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 there's a lot of honor in, in that culture. And so there was a part of the envelope. You could give an offering to the pastor. I never gave tithes. Not one time in my whole two years of being at that church, I never gave a tithe and not also bring it, gave an offering to my pastor. Now, I'm not saying that, please don't take that the wrong way. What I'm saying is I had such a hunger to be connected to fathers. And I would just do things to get close to him. I would make up reasons to get close to him. Like he, he was a golfer. And I was like, I'll play golf. 
I, I, I like golf. It's like, the, it's, it's like you see somebody eating cookies and you just go stand up and say, man, I like cookies. <laughs> yeah, hoping they'll give you one. I used to do that with another spiritual father of mine. He had a, a secretary that would do his notes for him and, and I, I kind of learned the rhythm and he would pray and study for the weekend messages at his house and then he would come by every now and then drop off some notes in his handwriting and she would type them up and put all the colors in for him and, and different things. And so I would just figure it out and when I would know that, that Olivia was fixing to take notes to him, I'd just be around the desk and be like, you know, what, are you, what are you doing? Oh, I, I need to drop these off at Pastor Scott's house. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I had some stuff to do. I didn't have anything to do. I, I'll, ta- I'll take him over to his house. And I, I just wanted to get, I, I, would get, I wanted to take those notes to his house because I knew that if I went to his house, he might say, hey, come in here, we'll visit for a little bit. Okay, I, I, you, if you want to visit, I guess we'll visit. But I had, a, I had a hunger to have fathers over me in my life. Now, it got, just like any good thing, you can get it into a ditch. You, you can get any good thing into a ditch. But it was natural in me to want to have people over me. It actually made it really hard for me to even be the leader. When we, when, when we planted this church, I was like, I don't want to be the leader. Some of you guys don't even know this. I've tried to give this church away like six different times. That's a fact. Cody, am I, am I, I, one guy three times, I'm like, are you sure you don't want to take this church? And I just was very uncomfortable in the early years of this church being the senior pastor. Leanne used to tell me, stop introducing yourself as one of the pastors here people don't know what's going on when you're just one of the pastors here like they want to know that you're the senior even things like that were hard for me so in one way that that hunger and desire to be under authority made it difficult for me to step up into the place that God had called me to be but there was an equally true kingdom thing over here I wanted to I just it was natural in me I didn't earn it I didn't deserve it I didn't study enough to get it the Lord placed in me a desire to live under authority you know why? Because then he wanted to place me in a church and teach you how to live under authority. He wanted me to tell you the stories of the inheritances that I've received, the things that I've received that I didn't work for, I didn't earn. I got for free what somebody else paid for because I chose to live under authority. Apostolic people, when you say the word apostle, and it means sent one, it means as soon as you say that word sent, that person is someone who's sent because they are under authority. Apostolic people are under authority. They are under the authority of the Word of God. They are under the authority of the Spirit of God. They are under the authority of the family of God. You need people, not just the Bible and not just the Holy Spirit. Those are the easy ones. But you need natural human beings in your life that you are submitted to. You need to be submitted to the body. The Bible actually says in Ephesians, submit yourselves one to another in fear of the Lord. So the reason I'm submitting to you is not because you're a God, it's because you have God-like things in you. You also were made in the likeness and image of God. He created something, he put something in you that was uniquely you, but perfectly him. Not all of it, but a piece. And every single one of us got a piece. So when I'm submitting my life to you, what I'm saying is, in fear of God, I believe there's something in you that I don't have. And by hearing how you think and hearing how you approach things and submitting my life to you, I'm actually welcoming God into my life because I'm welcoming you into my life. How do you know if you're submitted to spiritual family? I told this in the first service. If you cannot remember the last time that you took a significant decision of some type to a person and said, hey, would you give me some advice on what do you think I should do here? And they gave you that advice, and it was not advice that you wanted to hear or even necessarily believe that it was true, but you said, you know, I'm going to do that anyway. If you cannot remember the last time you did what someone else told you to do, you are not submitted. 
And this isn't just even about church, I, church stuff, if you will. I, I know people that, I, I've, one of my, over, my own personal overseers, he had struggled in the area of, of finances and handling his finances well. And so he, took, he, he actually went to a guy and said, hey, from now on, I'm submitting all major financial decisions to you. And he had found this house that he loved. He absolutely loved this house. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is the house that I want. And he took it to this person. He said, hey, I want to buy this house. What do you think? And they said, nah, I don't think that's the one for you. He goes, okay. Now, can you imagine a grown man going to another grown man and saying, you get to tell me what kind of house I'm supposed to live in? Can I just say this? It actually has nothing to do with the house and everything to do with the humility of heart. It's, it may have been the perfect house for him, but because he chooses to live under authority, under the authority of the word, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, but even under the authority of spiritual family, he doesn't just get the house he's supposed to have, he gets grace on his life. That's what you need more than anything is grace on your life. And God gives grace. God gives more grace to humble people. There is no greater act of humility than to bring yourself low and go under someone and say, you get to tell me what to do. I'm just going to say this. I, I got to, all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Husbands, I know what the scripture says. Yes, wives, submit to your husbands. But keep reading. Husbands, give up your life for your wife. It is more of a team, than you, it is more of a team situation than you probably know. And I just feel like there are some husbands in here that you needed to hear me say this. There needs to be times where your wife can tell you what to do and you just do it. I'll just leave that one right there. Maybe we should should put that one in the crock pot, let it soften up a little bit before you got to chew on that one. I could tell that didn't go down very good. Um, Apostolic people are submitted people. But because apostolic people are submitted people, apostolic people are powerful people. Once once you have submitted your decision-making to the Lord, he says, okay, you know what? I can trust you now with more power. We can't affect the world around us if we're walking around with no power. We're supposed to be packing heat. And of course, in Texas, we understand, probably all of y'all are in here packing heat, really. But I, what I'm saying, in the spirit realm, we're supposed to be packing heat. We're supposed to be having the ability to speak into situations and see them happen. But here's what I've learned about the Lord. He's not gonna give power to someone who's not submitted to his ways. He's not gonna give authority to someone who's busy doing it their way instead of his way because if, just think about the, the ramifications of that. If I, have the, if I have all this power, this supernatural power backing me, but my heart is not submitted to God, I have the power to create great negative impact on the world around me. Significant negative impact on the world around me. But if I have the same heart that even the son Jesus had, Lord, I do not, when he, when he had him there in the garden and he was fixing to go to the cross and Jesus is starting to feel the weight of his assignment and he's like, I do not want this. This does not feel good. There is no way that this can be, and his emotions are welling up on the inside. This, this cannot be the way. Lord, let this thing pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. Jesus went about doing good and healing all. 
healing all. That's great power. You know why he had great power? Because he was living under great surrender to his father. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. What is he modeling? He's modeling a picture of surrender. And from a place of surrender comes great power, comes great authority. In, uh, in Exodus chapters, I think it's two and three, right in there. Um, I'm kind of just skipping around, just making up stuff now. I'm actually reading scripture, I'm joking. Yeah, Exodus chapter two, um, Moses, you know the story of Moses, his mom put him in a basket, floats down the river, gets, ends up being pulled into the, into the palace and raised in, in an Egyptian palace. And um, fast forward one day, you know, Moses is not an Egyptian, but he was raised in royalty. So he had some, some connections, some pool there. But he goes out one day and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And something on the inside of him was like, this is not right. Now, mind you, this is, this is immature Moses. This is young Moses. This is not a Moses who's been shaped and molded yet. And, but that thing that he was born to do was still on the inside of him. This is not right. Somebody needs to do something about that. So he ends up going to killing the dude. Not exactly the approach to take. The next day he's out there again looking around and tries to break up a fight. And there's this whole thing, you know, he realizes, oh, shoot, everyone knows what I did. Everyone knows I killed this Egyptian and hit him, you know. And so he goes on the run. He, he flees to Midian. And uh, while he's in Midian, he's sitting at a well randomly. Seven sisters show up to the well to get some water. A bunch of shepherds start picking on him. And Moses runs to their rescue, defends these seven sisters, helps them get their water. And when they get back home, their dad, Jethro, says, hey, what? Why are you guys back so soon? It usually takes you a lot longer to get the water. And I'm like, well, this, this dude, man, these shepherds were jacking with us again. He's defending us. And then he helped us get our water. And he's like, hey, 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 go invite him over for dinner. And he's wise dad. He was like, hang on. One of y'all's marrying him. We, we got a keeper here. One of y'all's hooking up. You know? um, <laughs> so they, they, they bring him back. And sure enough, Moses ends up marrying one of the daughters. And Jethro becomes Moses' father-in-law. But what's interesting is it wasn't just, Jethro wasn't just any dude. Jethro was priest of Midian. Go back and read this. There's a lot of revelation in this. He was the priest of Midian. As the story goes, there's not a lot of detail about this, but you go on to Exodus chapter 3, and the first thing you see, and I think it's Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, it says, and Moses was tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. And when I, when I saw this, I, I, the Lord just began to speak to my heart. He said, see, Moses had the call of God on his life way back when. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what he was, the gifts and callings were in there. I just couldn't get behind him because he was not under authority yet. But all of a sudden, he finds his wife and he finds the priest of Midian. He finds a, not just a father-in-law, a spiritual father in his life and he's serving under his spiritual father and while out in the fields tending his father-in-law's sheep the Lord comes to him and that's when there's the whole burning bush experience and the Lord says hey I've got an assignment for you it is no coincidence that the assignment only came once he was under authority Moses this go-round uh, from a position of under authority, the Lord says, okay, that thing that you've always known was in there, that's what you were born to do. But this time, you're not just going into ministry. I'm sending you 
apostolic. I'm sending you back. But this time, I'm not sending you without power. I'm sending you with miracles. Submitted people, the Lord says, I can give that person power. Surrendered people, the Lord says, I, I can give that person power. Moses then goes and accomplishes, and you, and you know how the story goes. I just think it's interesting that the gift was there, the calling was there, the desire to do the right thing was there, but it wasn't released with power until he was under and serving a spiritual father's life at this particular point just happened to be his own father-in-law. Just like with any good revelation, you can get it weird. There have been movements that have come and gone, and uh, I won't say their name because I really genuinely don't mean to dishonor. I, I know the roots uh, and the, uh, of one particular movement that was actually born out of some really good things, but it got weird. Next thing you know, everybody had a spiritual father, and you couldn't even take a vacation unless your spiritual father approved it. And next, it, it, just, it just got weird. So, so understand, this is not a black and white, fill out a contract, sheet of paper, you're my spiritual father, I'm going to start calling you dad. Don't do that. Just stop it. You know, don't do that. It's, it's about the posture of the heart. It's about the posture of the heart saying, I'm going to live my life with people, allowing people to speak into my life. I want fathers and mothers in my life. I want brothers in my life. I'll give you an example just of what this might look like day to day. I came into a meeting the other day, and I, it just is what it is. Since I'm the boss, I can kind of do, I can make a decision if I want to. And I came into a, a meeting with Keith and Cody and the directors and Jonathan and Natalie and Leanne. I, I said, hey, here's what I think we should do. And this, there's a situation. Here's what I think we should do. And uh, C- Cody's, uh, we're on a Zoom call, and Cody's like, yeah, we, we could do that. Or we could, and he gives another idea. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a way better idea than I had. We're going to go with Cody's idea. Everybody, everybody good with that? Keith, you, you good with that? And Keith goes, yeah, that, you, you could do either one of those. But what you could do, and he said, you could do da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, yeah, we're going to go with Keith's idea. Keith, go. <laughs> and it's just living in a place where my title doesn't give me authority. Being under authority gives me authority. I don't, if you're having to use a title to give you authority, it's not even real. It's not real. It's not real authority. But when you have a band of brothers and family and fathers and mothers and brothers, we say, hey, we're choosing to do this together. We're making decisions together. We're not going to do things that somebody's just got a red flag about. And I, I, I can say this with a clean conscience. We have literally never done one thing as a leadership team that someone had a red flag about. I didn't care who the red flag was in leadership. It's just the posture of our hearts saying, Lord, we want your grace on our ministry. We want your grace on our life. We want your grace on what we do. We want great power backing. We want you backing what we do. But your power only comes when we choose to live under the authority of your word, under the authority of your scripture, under the authority of family, living in humility under authority. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com. 